Put the fucking mic on. Mic is on. Joe cracked it on, uh. podcast after a week-long unforeseen hiatus due to me accidentally putting my podcast equipment in storage i'm relieved to be back on the airwaves i felt like i could relate to one fat joe who you just heard when he said put the effing mic on because last week i could not turn my effing mic on so in case you forgot who this was or why i'm here uh, i am kate owner and founder of be there in five which is a company that started out inventing something called the Remind Doormat. Doormats is you on your way out of the house, such so as turn off your straightener, primarily for fire safety and also for daily affirmations and just, you know, a general fun idea in a stale category. And uh, I've since, you know, pivoted to having an Instagram account that nobody asked for with a lot of pop culture commentary, um, which is now this podcast. I have a consulting arm and we're probably going to start taking new clients this summer. Uh, we do a lot of custom artwork, and also I have a secret project coming out. Winter 2018, or maybe late winter. Wait, when is winter? Let's say holiday 2018, winter 2019. Sometime around there that's actually, you know, so some, some of my life's work and something I'm incredibly proud of that I um, cannot, like, totally talk about now. But if you want to hear more about go to patreon.com slash be there in five. It's in the show notes. That is a site where you can support content creators directly by pledging a dollar a month for people like me who do this for free and uh, who don't have advertisers. It's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N and you can just search for be there in five. Um, if you don't have iTunes and can't click in the show notes, people are always asking me how to spell it. Um, anyway, that song you just heard, Fat Joe featuring Ashanti, uh, my least favorite spelling, but a great song nonetheless, What's Love, L-U-V. A very, like, 2000 spelling. That's not an abreve you see very often these days. A huge Ashanti fan. I played Always on Time on my second podcast. I love Foolish. I love Rock with two parentheses. Aw, oh, baby. And I especially love her borderline Oscar-worthy performance as a 30-year-old cheerleader pretending to be 16 in the hit, critically acclaimed, fine film, John Tucker Must Die. We've since... Uh, Oh, I leave my phone ringer on so you guys know I'm popular. Um, it's my sister. <laughs> um, let's see what she's saying. We'll check this in, in real time. Very important news. She is at the dentist and uh, wanted to tell me that she thought Kim Kardashian looked unbelievable at the Met Gala. And I agree. Best she's ever looked, truly. She, oh God, she, she really, really looked amazing. Hair and glam and her body and that fit was unbelievable. And it's wild to think that there was ever a time where Kim was like not invited to stuff because she was considered, you know, ugh, a reality star. But now Anna Windor, like, you know, worships the ground she walks on. It's, it's so funny because like I feel fashion is notoriously exclusive and I feel like they've raged against reality TV for so long. But if you look at the red carpet last night, it's like Kendall, Kylie, Kim, yeah, Haley Baldwin, <laughs> like I, the, the, the people that are on the, it's just such a young crowd and it's such a social media strong crowd. And, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like, Oh, there's Cindy Crawford. Oh, cool. Nicole Kim. And like, people aren't interested in these people anymore. They're like getting older. They're married. We know that they're good actors. We know they have a lot of money. Star power is so much less about the mystique of the unattainable celebrity and so much more about getting further into the lives of people that already make their lives perfectly accessible to us. It's an, it's an interesting strategy. I feel like uh, it used to be the less you told us, the more we pride. But now, you know, I've seen every inch of Kendall Jenner's body, yet I still need to know more. The theme was so interesting because, well, I thought it was just general, like, religion or, like, heaven or celestial. But it was very specifically was an homage to uh, the fashion's relationship with the Catholic Church. Um, so the entire red carpet was just like being at the Uffizi. I mean, it was like, uh, I mean, if you've ever been to like Italy in Florence or Rome and kind of like the tourist trap areas where there's like all of those stands where they sell pashminas and, you know, tiny figurines of the David and the leaning tower of Pisa. And then they have tea towels and aprons that are like Michelangelo's the touch and the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Like it looks like that. It was almost 
it was it was like a weird theme. Some people did it really beautifully, like Blake Lively's Versace dress took 400 hours to make. It, 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 she looked stunning. She was wearing somewhat of a crown. It was very regal. It wasn't so much member of the clergy as it was like queen from the Elizabethan era, looking down on everybody for not being as wealthy or beautiful as she was. So she's adorned with her finest gold trim tapestry and just judging everybody who wants to convert to Protestantism. You know, that that's more the Met Gala's elite vibe. And I, I frankly, I'm proud of Blake Lively and I hope she inspires CW actresses everywhere that she once was sitting on the Met steps with Blair eating their daily yogurt. And now she is closing the Met Gala red carpet. Dreams really do come true. In the Riverdale cast, there is hope for you. It's like, best case scenario off the CW is Blake Lively. Worst case scenario was like Alice and Mac off Smallville, which I never watched. But, you know, it's really eerie looking back at the subtext of her tweets now because she's like, hey, at Eva Longoria, loving Desperate Housewives, Wisteria Lane, am I right, LOL? Hey, BTW, I have this women's empowerment group. You should really look into joining. It's awesome. But now we know the subtext is like, hey, girl, I'm in this super creepy, super rapey, abusive uh, cult where men brand women and keep them as sex slaves and then I go on to abuse and capture other women into this horrible cyclical life where we're all brainwashed and don't know any better and I ultimately have a future in jail where I'll comply with government officials so I don't have to serve time even though I totally should serve time because I am a monster who roped other people into this mess. Anyway, TTYL. It's like, ugh, geez, Allison Mac, not great, not great. Anyway, back to the Met Gala. Um, there's Rihanna, of course, like pontificating all over the red carpet in her papal version of a, of a mini dress. It, that looked extremely heavy and the beating, the handwork was incredible, but she kind of always goes for like the wow factor, the costume factor. I feel like I can't even like say best and worst dress at the Met Gala because it's not really like the point. Because the people, like there's Giselle, for example, she was wearing like a silk yellow gown. I, I mean... She was like Kate Hudson's, you know, infamous buttercream number at the Delauer Diamond Gala and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which taught us that if you have one glass of champagne very quickly, you will, in fact, lose your composure and therefore lose your slot at Composure magazine because you will get on stage and you will sing Carly Simon and be incredibly charming all the while. I freaking love that movie. I always felt like her um, really stiff, you know, boss with the black hair and the chin bob and the alabaster skin i always felt like her teeth were a little yellow if, if you're gonna go like al alabaster like you know adam's family jet black straight hair you you got to you gotta you gotta whiten your teeth this podcast is brought to you by smile direct club just kidding that'd be awesome though i'll take your money smile direct club the the, the teeth whitening service kim zolciak beerman was hawking at me for years like recently went under like no wonder if you're like well it's normally a thousand dollars but they're doing a promotion in the next 20 minutes it's half off and if you use code brielle it'll bring the whole total down to 1999 because you won't even be getting anything we'll be shipping you a box of air because if your lips are as ginormous and poorly sized relative to the size of the rest of the features on your face you can't even get a whitening tray in your mouth because your lips black your teeth so um yeah sorry to hear about that atlanta-based whitening club what was i talking about met gala yellow dress oh yeah yeah giselle um who else did i think was well so amal clooney co-hosted the event which i thought was interesting because i feel like usually the co-host really turns it up and amal's uh, amal's dress was like it was like a half, it was a jumpsuit with a giant, beautiful train. It was beautifully made. It was well-tailored. It was, it was a, it was a gorgeous outfit for like, and it's the most elaborate thing like a barrister would wear, a human rights attorney, like for her not having a background in the limelight, I'm sure like wearing these clothes is just like otherworldly. And she is a stunning, accomplished, amazing woman. But for her to be the co-host and go with that pantsuit, which she, I think, was mentioned was like feminist commentary, which, you know, I support. You know, I love a jumpsuit. I've talked about that many times. I just, just something about, like, from the back, I was like, oh, yes, Amal brought it out. And it was like this huge, elaborate train. And then she turned around and she had like a satin navy pant. And I just thought it took away from the train. I didn't love the look. I didn't think it was well balanced. It almost, I don't know. I could give my fashion two cents on what I think would have made it a more um, balanced or statement piece of work. But really... I don't know. It, it just didn't do a ton for me, I guess. I was like desperately hoping to see Brad Pitt and his girlfriend, the um, designer slash architect slash associate professor at MIT. She is beautiful. She is Israeli. She has this gorgeous natural curly hair. Obsessed. Cannot wait to see her out and about, though I wish she would try to do better than Brad Pitt. 
I, um, and then there's kind of, you know, the, the weirder looks that I don't hate either. You know, we have your Cara Delevingne's that dressed like wrought iron lattice uh, outside a confession booth, which I didn't hate the interpretation of, but it's kind of like, well, are we really going to get into the materials inside the church? Because you could show up in, I mean, anything. You could go full nude and call yourself the David. You could, I could have shown up looking like that Hardy star and just been like, oh yeah, I'm dressed at what I think about during church, which is going to get fried chicken after this, because literally does anybody think about anything in church other than lunch? I know I didn't growing up. I, I would have uh, torn out hymnal pages and put them all over my dress and jumbled them up. And instead of speaking, when somebody asked me a question, I would have referred them to page 389, verse 2, and watch them fumble and take 20 minutes to find it, because that's what I grew up doing also, and I find hymnal books extremely frustrating, and just get an overhead projector, you know? I, I would have, like, for kicks, just walked around and seized, seized, like, profusely and blown my nose as loud as possible right before I tried to kiss everyone on the cheek and say, peace be with you, because every time I go to church, that is my experience. The women probably had to get ready for days and days and days fittings upon fittings upon fittings and then like of course the dudes just still show up in different variations of tuxedos like i mean truly what are you dressed as what are you channeling they're they're like oh yeah this is a brown suit on the pew it's like seriously can you put like a smidge of effort into this i guess men's wear is tough it's limited in scope i suppose and when you're at a costume gala forgive me but i think tickets are wasted on male attendees, and I don't mean the designers. I, I just mean include more women, invite more women, invite women in different phases of their career, invite up-and-coming talent. I don't know. It's just the, uh, the paradox of the consumer of arts being a, a historically a pretentious world, a world that is exclusive to only those who have a lot of money, to being of high society. The, the consumption of art is very different from the artist. And yes, some artists find themselves in great fortune and great wealth, but I'd argue probably a lot of the best art happens at the onset of a career when somebody is lesser known and making art from a more emotional and less commercial place. And I just think that if we really do care about diversity and care about supporting women and all these things, like let's get some of the lesser known designers out there, celebrities, like have a contest, have people submit designs to you. Like, just like trust somebody else. I guarantee they'll even try harder than some of the big fashion houses because it could be their big break. Like I just think it'd be so cool to be in a position like that and to give someone a chance. That, I, I have goosebumps thinking about it. Looking at Taylor Swift in Arizona going to um, visit a children's hospital. Um, I mean, obviously it's amazing for the children, but if, if people are like, oh, she only does that for press. I'm like, I don't think so. Because can you imagine how the, the absolute joy you would feel every day, the people you met that just desperately needed some uplifting or desperately needed the help every single day you could give that person one of the most pivotal, biggest moments of their entire life. You, you could start the story that they are going to tell everybody for years to come. Like, I know that's a huge burden for a lot of celebrities and it makes them go crazy, but I do think there's people that do it well and take it with grace and take their responsibility seriously and say what you will. But I think Taylor Allison Swift is, uh, appears to be a very nice person and does a lot for her fans, especially those that are in less than desirable positions. I mean, fingers crossed she will hear about me being in my sublet without cable and take pity on me June 1st, June 2nd, actually, at the Reputation World Tour and invite me into the rep room. Can you imagine, like, what a 30-year-old woman meeting a 29-year-old woman that she's, like, obsessed with how I would act? What am I going to be like? I've looked up to you for years. Oh, I hope to be you when I grow up. No, I hope to be you when I... Benjamin Button. Like, I already could have been you and I'm not. So what am I going to say? Love your tunes. Want to hear the version of Love Story I wrote for my husband? It's about when we first met. You're going to love it. It's a classic Romeo and Juliet. And it goes a little something like this. We were both young when I first saw you, standing by a mechanical bull and you were there. With a Bud Light inside parted hair. City lights see a taxi you hail down. We hang out till you saw a pizza said hello. When Margarita sliced to go. I said, guess my name, it's one of the presidents, and for some reason you said Rutherford B. Hayes. <laughs> oh, God. I like it better as a slam poem. Truly, really, that's what happened. I answered on my Patreon. Somebody had asked me on my Q&A, 
how would I know Greg was the one? And I gave some long ass answer. But really, obscure presidential humor is where all great love stories start. For him to not guess Kennedy, my last name, or something just like a little bit easier, and be like, Rutherford B. Hayes, Millard Fillmore, Chester Arthur, James K. Polk. I was like, I'm on board. True love. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, men at the Met Gala. Actually, um, the Black Panther, Chadwick, he, he, he brought it in terms of uh, having theme-relevant fashion that wasn't just a regular tuxedo, but like looking at, you know, a dude putting on a jacket and some slacks compared to Sarah Jessica Parker in full commitment of a true lover of fashion, wearing us like what appears to be a 75-pound headpiece. And next photo, it's like, oh, wow, is that an embroidered cross on Trevor Noah's shoulder? Like, no, come on. Anyway, I also was... Um, it's interesting, like, uh, no, no one on the internet seems like remotely mad about this. And I don't know, I'm just kind of surprised this day and age, everyone's got their two cents, but nobody seems bothered that Rihanna dressed as the Pope. Uh, nobody seems to think it's sacrilegious. I mean, remember when Madonna was like writhing around with wearing rosaries and people thought she was the Antichrist? Times have changed, I suppose. And Madonna was there and she was dressed, I don't know, some church widow when really she could have just worn street clothes and been like, well, I'm Madonna, M Madonna, like the mother. She just stuck with what she knows, which is mega goth. Wait, I just thought, <laughs> oh my God, this made me laugh so hard. My uh, husband, so, okay, <laughs> long story short, my husband and I got into a lengthy, heated discussion because he was trying to tell me that Lord from New Zealand of, you know, royals and green light fame, definitely dating Jack Antonoff, even though pretend she isn't. He's trying to tell me that Lord goes to the University of Michigan. <laughs> which is where he went and people from Michigan period. And especially people that went to university of Michigan are like very Michigan proud. They're like Tim Allen, pure Michigan, God's country, whatever. Like, yeah, I get it. Michigan's cool. looks like a mint and has trees, rolling Hills. It's fine. It's nice. Virginia is gorgeous too. We just aren't like so hardcore, like Virginia or bus, like Michigan people are really, really proud. And I don't know if it has to do with that Tim Allen campaign, but uh, that is my best guess. And Anyways, he was like, yeah, Lord goes to the University of Michigan. I was like, no, she doesn't. She's like 19. She tours around. She's from New Zealand. She, she, she is very busy. I was like, Lourdes, Lourdes Leon, Madonna's daughter, goes to the University of Michigan, and so does Haley Mathers. Eminem's daughter, he was like, Lourdes. No, I saw it. It says Lord. I'm like, yeah, her name looks like L-O-U-R-D-E-S, but it's pronounced Lourdes. And he's just like, uh, no, she, she alternates between promoting melodrama and going to her liberal arts classes in Ann Arbor. And it was just, it made me laugh so hard because it's like, he's vaguely in the know, like with celebrities and pop culture, because I talk about it, but he could easily mix something up and, you know, Lord is L-O-R-D-E. And, um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, don't you love, like, there's an How I Met Your Mother episode called like, what'd they say? It's like a knowledge gap, like things you just never really it's for some reason, no one ever corrected you and just always thought or never got brought up. And you learn way too late in life. Like when I, I have no idea why I thought this, but when I was a senior in high school, I, for some reason thought the word rejuvenate had a Spanish pronunciation. And I really would go all in with the, the, the H sound for the J and I was reading out loud in class. And I said, so-and-so rejuvenated something else. And people just looked at me and I was like, okay. And then I said, read further into the topic, said the word again. And it's not like I was, you know, the class clown going for funny ha-has. I was very earnestly reading because I follow directions and I do whatever teachers tell me to. And after class, a friend said, do you think it's pronounced rejuvenate? And I said, is there any other way? And you know, bless her heart. I had no idea. It's like, I don't know, some people say, like say intensive purposes, or I think for the longest time, I thought it was PRE space Madonna instead of pre-Madonna. I, I mean, I think I thought the world, like the olden days were actually black and white and like Technicolor came out when the Wizard of Oz did because at the beginning of the movie, it's like now in Technicolor. And I was like, oh, I got it. Okay. So like old days, like with all the black and white pictures, that was like pre-tornado, post-tornado, you know, they, they die irises and Dorothy's eyes, she gets ruby slippers, there's some monkeys flying, and bam, your eyes reflect light in a different way that sees a color spectrum. Um, I think perhaps the word, 
perhaps the worst is something I thought of recently. You know those memories that you wake up in the middle of the night and you absolutely shudder and you have no idea why it came in your mind, but you're mortified. When I was little, I thought, like, I didn't know... I I didn't understand why they poured blue liquid in like the pad and tampon commercials. And I didn't have like family life maybe till I was like 10 and my sister's friend was over. Oh my God. And, uh, clearly she had tried to flush a tampon down the toilet, which I now realize as an adult when I was seven or eight, I literally like went through the house being like, there's been a murder. Like somebody's bleeding. Like going to get my parents. Like the girl was in the next room. I'm sure she was mortified. And I just remember like going to my mom, like, mom, there's blood everywhere. And I remember my mom being like, okay, that's fine. Like, it's just trying to get me to shut up. And I was like, sheesh, trying to be a first responder around here, getting shamed. And I just cannot believe that didn't register with me till like 20 years later. Actually, wait, I just thought of the best example of this, of hearing a story and processing it in your brain, and it comes out later, and you're like, that doesn't sound right. Best exhibited by, sorry, Kelly, another story about my sister. I want to say she was driving age, and a family friend asked if she could uh, if she could ski, if our family went skiing, and she promptly informed them, like, no, we actually don't ski, because my dad, he messed up his knee um, when he was younger skiing in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> We all know the, uh, the world-famous alpine, stunning, rolling, snow-covered hills of Saudi Arabia. But he was, in fact, in Austria. And to be fair, the last syllable was the exact same, and he had been to Saudi Arabia before. And it's probably a story he just told when we were younger, and you jumble it in your brain, and then you process it out later. And you're like, whoa, 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 that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, God, good times all around. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the Met Gala. I, I think for me, I just, I, I loved all the headpieces. I thought they were so beautiful. I loved the halos. I loved the crowns. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to wear something heavy on your head. We've all pretended to be models. We've put books on our head and been on the catwalk. We've, you know, just like that Tyra Banks movie, Life Size. We, you know, is that the movie? Did, did she give Lindsay Lohan like modeling advice or something i don't know that song's awesome shine bright shine far don't be shy be a star editor's note i cut out me singing that entire song uh, <laughs> i stepped away from recording and played the back i was like what were you thinking what was i talking about oh the Met- yeah i love the head pieces at the met gala i've always wanted to wear like a full-on serious like headpiece or crown i think it would be really interesting however it would be stressful because if i remember picture day correctly which clearly I do because in the episode tall dark and Hanson, and I do believe I talk about school picture day for like 10 minutes you, you all know the sensation of that headband inducing migraine when the sides are just a little tight on the old noggin but you know if you don't wear your matching fabric colored headband to your adorned turtleneck underneath some sort of Peter Pan collared jumper then you're just not gonna look as fierce as you want I uh I could never even suffer through um, an updo at the homecoming dance or prom with like 36 bobby pins and some sort of bun that resembles, you know, tugboats lose stools after he's had a rotisserie chicken. Oh my God, that's so gross. But truly, people just have piles of crap on their heads. Like ladies, let's, can we just stop getting updos? Can we just get like a nice tight chignon? Uh, I, I love a high pony. I love a top knot. I love a downdo. I love something half up. I guess it's like a rule of thumb. If you go to a hair salon and they hand you a, like an 11 by 14 hardcover book that's probably from the 90s and tell you to pick out your hairstyle and there's a woman with a bright like purpley red pixie cut on the front cover and it says something like hairstyles for the whole family. In general, I'd say run. I, you know, any hairstyle that can be described as with the word pile in it, like a pile of curls, I'd say just stay away. I, I feel like the irony of the dance, school dance updo is that it starts at an age where you, you aren't really like wearing makeup or doing your hair. You're probably air drying. I, I didn't found my more flattering hair part. I had never worn a stitch of makeup. And so my hopes were so high for this dance. I thought I was just going to look beautiful. I was picturing Julia Stiles in, in, uh, what's it called? How to not how to lose a guy in 10 days, 10 things I hate about you. Um, well, of course, you know, she tends the prom with Heath, Heath Ledger and has actually a gorgeous pile of gelled curls on the back of her head. 
And then I just remember being in the chair, you know, convincing my parents to spend the $30 and then they'd turn around and I was like, I look worse. To, to make a 12-year-old that's never worn makeup or done their hair or like put on uh, formal wear look worse is, is a true feat and a true crime. And anyways, I, I probably talked about this before when I ranted slightly about bridesmaids, but like, it could just make sure you give people the option to do their own hair. It's really not going to affect your life or your wedding if your bridesmaids all get their hair professionally done. And it's especially don't make them all get the same hairdo because... You know, you see one too many side buns and all of a sudden your entire bridal party is like slightly cocked to the right because all of the chignons are very voluminous and over the right ear and makes you a little top and side heavy. And, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just not a fan. I I guess I, I guess I'm not a per- if I'm dressing up and if I want to feel my prettiest and I talked about this last week, I don't want to look like a totally different person. I just want to look like a better version of myself. And uh, if uh, I guess the rule of thumb is if you're a person that doesn't really wear your hair up. You know, don't feel like for your wedding, for other people's weddings, for whatever, that you need an updo. I I think an updo is like when I if I was going to commit to a look, if I was going to do like a high neckline and wanted like a big earring and for my hair to be back to balance the look. But if you if it's a day when you want to look like absolutely incredible and you're just not used to seeing your face with your hair a certain way, don't wear it that certain way just because other people do. You feel like you have to because you're not you're not going to look back and like those photos. I can tell you from experience. I had a bit of a hair blunder on my wedding day and you can't really tell because my hair is like long and down and whatever. But uh, I had this like piece of jewelry that was supposed to go like up on one side. and It was supposed to look a lot more formal, but I forgot it on my way to the church. So then like my hair's just down. It's like, the, it, it, ugh, God, I'm so frustrated. I'll get heated talking about it. It's, it hasn't even been a year and I'm not over it yet. Um, but yeah, even like uh, speaking of headpieces, uh, with my wedding, I made a last minute decision to wear a veil at my ceremony because it was in like a 14th century cathedral. It was very traditional, very Italian, very beautiful. But my dress was a little bit more modern. I thought, I honestly thought it would make my mom happy. So it was like kind of my surprise for her. So, you know, naturally I do what any high-end, high-quality lover of fashion does, and I go on the internet and try to find the cheapest possible cathedral veil from China. I find one that's 10, maybe even 12 feet long. It's under $30. They can get it to me in two days, and much to my delight when I received it, it was just a giant piece of tulle that had some lace appliques glue-gunned onto it. That said, you really can't tell, and I am so glad I had it. I really did not want to veil because I, the, you know, the concept of having it in front of your face and stuff really bothers me. I don't, I don't like that. Um, but nobody really does that anymore. The, it didn't like the father used to lift up the veil and present the daughter. It's like, I don't know. It's it's like what's it called? Um, a dowry, you know, like. I present to you my daughter, and I also will give you four acres of fertile pasture and my two best water buffalo. It's like, no, come on. That's not really customary in the States anymore, though it is in other cultures. And I know this because I do watch 90 Day Fiance. And have I talked about that on the podcast yet? I mean, it's not in season right now, but holy best show on TV. Um, Anywho, why was I talking about? Oh, my veil, right. Hard to wear a headpiece. Uh, AA was late to my ceremony before I forgot my veil. And then people thought it was kitschy, like, oh, be there in five. And I'm like, no, I actually wanted to be on time to my wedding forgot my veil, then like I just slapped it on. And uh, within like a few minutes of being at the altar, my I like was like, Kelly, fluff my veil. And I was like trying to tell my sister to like fluff it because, you know, what's the point of the drama if it's not going to be laid out nicely. And she's looking at me like not knowing what I'm saying. And the priest is trying to say hello to me. He's trying to greet me at my own wedding. And I am ignoring him accidentally and side eyeing, eyeing my sister and being like, this veil is not looking as fierce as I want it to. And I just, oh God, it was so embarrassing. The, uh, my ceremony was clunky. It was an Italian speaking priest. It, the Catholic marriage process out of the country is very lengthy. Italy's very traditional. I was already a little bit nervous and felt like I wasn't allowed to be there. And um, then my sister tries to fluff my veil, but then steps on my veil and then she pulls. So like the barrette pulls down. So all the photos from the back, it's like crooked on my head. And then when we were walking out, uh, somebody stepped on it and then it just flew off my head. And then I I left it there. And thank God for Caitlin, my lovely photographer. She went and got it. It was like balled up somewhere. She's like, we might want this later. And then she brought it back to me and it was responsible for some of the loveliest photos we took at our wedding. So I'm grateful for it. However, I had a headpiece on for 30 minutes and couldn't even make it work and was very aware of it and felt like my neck was being craned back. And, uh, 
Kudos to SJP. Kudos to everybody. Last night that wore a crown. Kudos to Mary-Kate Nashley Olsen, who straight from the catacombs of Rome, from the papal tombs, the, the undead, brought to us a look, look that must have been inspired by the Holy Ghost because they looked ghastly. They looked gaunt. And it, I, it, it was worse than it's been previously. And I don't know if it's the smoking. I don't know if it's the creepy, you know, French fiance that's double her age. I don't, I don't know if Elizabeth and James in the row are is doing well. Are they still selling $30,000, you know, snakeskin backpacks? And trust me, I get, I respect that they want to put their brother for sale one buffalo, two buffalo life behind them and not be child stars, not be Michelle Tano. Um, never say you got it, do it again. But I don't know. There needs to be a balance, you know? Like, I think it's nice when people kind of lean into their past a little bit while also, you know, moving forward. And they've just tried to do such a 180. I think they've abandoned a lot of their fans in the process. And let's be honest, most of us who were going to Blockbuster and renting Passport to Paris and chanting to ourselves, bonjour, bonjour, oh my God. <laughs> that was my favorite from the trailer. Um, most of us probably aren't of the affluence that uh, would allow us to afford clothes from the row. And I don't mean to overly typecast, but I mean, the the closest I ever got to that kind of wealth was just watching It Takes Two. I mean, Alyssa Calloway's life was... Like one I had, I had never seen. I I was obsessed with her. I was not as into Amanda Lemon. I was very scared of the butt kisses. They practically collect kids. And I, um, you know, that piano scene. It's like that is the most iconic move uh, scene in film when she uh, Amanda is pretending to be Alyssa and she is given uh, escargot and she's like this tastes like a balloon. And then the guy's like, it's escargot, ma'am. And she's like, all this money and people eat slugs. And then she goes into uh, Clarice Kensington, asks her to play on the piano. And she's like, uh, I would be delighted to play for you a selection from Chopin. It's <laughs> just like, oh my God. <laughs> so classic. I could recite that whole movie probably too, along with How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> kind of a random pairing. Uh, I also could probably recite Speaking of church, Holiday in the Sun, because let's face it, that movie is, it's pure art. It's perfect. Honestly, uh, uh, Holiday in the Sun, the Mary-Kate and Ashley film from their later years, it has everything. I feel like I sound like, like Stefan. This movie has everything. High-speed jet ski chases, ancient antiquity smuggling, going on day dates with strangers that are probably murderers, goober-like parents, and really powerful quotes like, that guy has earrings. You know what that means? He loves pain and he's bought jewelry. <laughs> Was that a good Stefan? Uh, Stefan's like my favorite SNL character of all time. If you don't know who that is, please look it up because it's embarrassing that I just did that. I love it because Bill Hader said it's based on a real character. It's based on a barista he met in Chelsea that like wore Ed Hardy and had Pete Wentz bangs and just had talked in that voice and, you know, exclusively only went to New York hotspots in weird underground locations or converted Brooklyn warehouses. And I don't know. I just think it's the funniest thing ever. Um, but yeah, the, the movie, I don't know. Like, first of all, Brianna Wallace is a, she's, Brianna Wallace is one of the most important movie characters in my, in my time, in my life, because it's a young Megan Fox and she's such a classic bad acting mean girl that would like never exist in movies now because we can't promote bullying. But the thing about the Brianna Wallace's of the world is that it really made us all on the other side stick together and make sure she didn't get Jordan because she famously said, well, A, that she's Brianna Wallace, as in the Wallace department store Wallace's, and I get what I want. And this summer, I want Jordan. I mean, dang, girl. She, she, had, the, she had these, like, uh, really... I don't know. She had these like really mean catchphrases. Like somebody would walk by and be like, hey, what's up? And she'd be like, not my temperature. <laughs> like clearly your temperature is up because that was a sick burn. Brianna Wallace, you are a queen. I love you. Um, she was great. Uh, the, the fact that she was even a threat when the twins clearly had so much cash that their parents took them out of school to surprise them with a trip to the Bahamas. 
And then they're such brats and complain on their private jet the whole time how they want to be in Hawaii. And they're like, Ugh, Atlantis is in the last continent, Atlantis. And it's like, shut up. Nobody talks like that. The, these movies were this hilarious juxtaposition of them saying like quippy intellectual things um, versus them being literal idiots. Um, <laughs> the smartest character was the little girl named Keegan. She was the family, like little sister of the family friend who was like the hottest guy there that like they were just actively overlooking as being a love interest when they had like a million other ones on the island that were all these like weird dudes. And the Jordan, the one Brianna and one of the twins was after just like war wife beaters and like worked with the sea life. I don't know. I don't love the term wife beaters, but if I said ribbed white tank, would it have the same effect? Anyway, uh, my favorite aspect of this film, however, is a song from the soundtrack. If you own the DVD, it is in like the bonus features menu. And it is a music video by a band that also made a cameo in the movie. And it is a girl band called Play. I do believe it is four person, just like Dream. And I do believe they were directly trying to copy Dream, yet failed miserably. The one song is catchy. It's called Us Against the World. And it features a fantastically, you know, 2001 uh, shiny, multicolored bell bottoms, low rise tube top, crop top, you know, PC braids and crimps and butterfly clips. It, it, the whole song and dance with so the music video with several plot holes makes no sense with girls that I think are tween age, not even teenage. I think they're from Sweden. And um, the vi video is so low budge that at one point, the one girl who honestly might be eight or nine, which is really weird, is dancing. And she like gets up out of a chair and you can see her underwear peeking out of her uh, pants. Like, they, 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 it is so low budget, they didn't even think to, like, at least edit that out or, I don't know, retouch it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good song, and it's a hilarious video, and I highly, highly recommend you watch it just for a great dose of 2001. You know, if I, like, ever hit it big and I have a lot of money, I'm going to spend money on experiences for like friends and family of things we always dreamt of doing that are really like specific to a certain thing or time and splash out. Like my dream would be to take my sister, my um, sister-in-law, Emily, my brother, Jim, all of us, including my brother, big holiday and a son's fan, son fans. Uh, nobody does a better Brianna Wallace than my brother. I, I would take them to the Atlantis. We would get the nicest suite there, recreate the front desk scene, recreate the water slide montages, we would hopefully get involved in some sort of illegal antiquities ring. We, I, I, we would sit on the beach and talk about how we get confused by metaphors, like having your cake and eating it too, or making your bed and having to lie in it. And finally, we'd cap off by another montage, different from the water slide montage. It would be like a water sports montage to the tune of One Girl Revolution. And we would say things like, I feel the need, the need for speed, which truly nobody actually talks like that. I mean, it's again, how to lose a guy in 10 days. I thought like, I loved Kate Hudson's mannerisms. And she would say things like two stale beers and a jumbo dog, and you'll be whistling a different tune. And I was like, huh, do people talk like that? And her friends would be like, Andy, you're so bad. If my friends were like, Kate, you're so bad. I'd be like, oh, we're not friends anymore. Sorry. That made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Am I the only person that doesn't think jet skis are that fun? I mean, I think they're fine. Um, but I don't know. The older I get, the less interested I am in potentially being bucked off a watercraft or left out at sea and uh, out to fend for myself. I think that when other people are driving it and it's a little too fast and the person on the back is bumping a little too much, the person in the front's not always like really thinking about it. And I think that some people are like born and raised like lake goers and others are more dabblers. And I am not a born and raised lake goer. I can count on one hand the number of times I've been on a jet ski. So like when your boyfriend's trying to charm you and you're like in a foreign country and you get on a jet ski and he starts to drive super fast in a choppy ocean and you see a shark fin, cough Greg, it's maybe not the most romantic idea. Never been so scared in my life. Haven't been back on a jet ski since. But uh I think, I don't know. It just, it just depends if you, it's something you grew up doing. I just only did water sports at summer camp and I have mixed emotions about my summer camp experience because at the time I wanted to go because all my friends were going and it was like theoretically fun, but I also think it's weird when you're told things are supposed to be fun, but they require you to get up early. So it's like, uh, you know what I mean? Like things like 5Ks and parades are like, 
organized fun, but it's not fun because you dread going the next day because you have to get up so early and it usually requires physical activity. So at these camps, these are like hardcore Southern Christian Bible camps kind of just with like a lot of water sports and fun activities and they were co-ed. So people kind of just went to like flirt with boys and play lawn games. Um, well, they a they'd make you get up at like I don't know six thirty or seven. They give you chores and you have to like clean the bunk. And this Christian camp, they'd make you do like devotionals and read your Bible like at sunrise. And I would just sit there and pretend to be buried in my journal, but my eyes were closed and I was sleeping. I. I don't like, I don't know. I was 14. I didn't really feel like devoting. Like, what was I going to devote my day to? And dear God, today I will go to water skiing after archery. And my favorite camp song is God of Wonders Beyond Our Galaxy. But I also like that one with the sign language. Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. That one's really fun. I hope we have sloppy joes for lunch so I can get in a food fight like Mary like Amanda Lemon and it takes two. Talk about I'm on a roll here. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I think there's just, there's so many things about like a religious camp that can be great. I think it's so important to give kids some sort of moral compass. I think it's important to give the, teach them the importance of uh, believing in things you can't see, the importance of faith, the importance of knowing that somebody is watching out for you. I think there's so many aspects of religion that are positive for a child, but I feel so frustrated and bitter, <laughs> to be honest, toward, some, toward this uh, Christian camp, because if, I, ideals weren't so much offered up to me as an option as they were forced into my brain and at, in, for formative for your formative years when you're still developing when you're developing you know your conscience and your moral code and your social code and your um, your self-esteem and like I don't know I just there's so many messages that weirdly became buried in my head from going to those camps where they really just I don't know I don't want to get myself in trouble I it just I, I I don't know how to explain it. This might be a topic for Patreon. Um, I mean, they just do things like there was a rock climbing wall. And if, when you got to the top, if, if for the belay person to let you down, they'd make you recite a Bible verse off the top of your head. So not only were you scared and like dangling, but you had to like be like, oh, uh, John 3.16, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it's like, uh, in retrospect, I think through these things, I'm like, that was kind of weird. And then... I don't know, when you're like pretty young and in middle school and you pressure people to like go up to the front and get saved and it's it's just like a lot. And I feel like as girls, we were like sat down and told, you know, your body is a temple and the, you know, the dangers of sexual immorality. And if someone touches you, you're going to hell. And like all of these things, that whether you digest it at the time or not, it stays with you and it forms how you think about the world. And I I just don't think it's appropriate to tell kids that people who do certain things or behave a certain way are 100% going to hell because at that age you like are pretty sure that's a real place. <laughs> and like I don't know if it is or not, but like th that is that's a that's a fear tactic. That's something I just I don't know. That's not the way. I don't know. I I just I feel like certain uh, other people's beliefs and ideals were planted in my brain during a formative period in time. What, which then robbed me of having my own natural instinct reaction or judgment on certain people, things, or behaviors. Because when I was still forming my own opinion, somebody told me their opinion and presented it as fact. And I spent my whole life trying to fight the in, the artificial instinct that I was told. It does that make sense? Like I almost just wish I could have gone through the world. Uh, I don't know, having my own natural reactions to things from the person that I am empirically, that I was born, that my parents taught me to be. My parents are much, they're much more flexible. They're blank slates. They're like, here are the tools and things we believe in, the things that make you a good person. But you also need to have your own experiences and learn things for yourself. And they just weren't, they were strict, but they weren't like uh, scary or threatening. <laughs> and these church camps, they like, really scared me.
Because when you're threatening to take somebody's TV watching time away or that they can't go to volleyball practice or whatever, those consequences are a little less severe than telling somebody, I don't know, that their soul is damned should they French kiss a boy. And also looking back, you know, given how many people deal with abuse and uh, I, I can't even imagine how many girls when they, the counselor sat us around and like told us we were bad people. If anybody touched you, like the dialogue was like, it was never, it, there just should have been such a dialogue around uh, like sexual assault and uh, defending yourself and what is, and is not a sin when you are and are not responsible. Like I, I just think a lot of people who had made mistakes or perhaps gotten to them, themselves in sexually precarious situations at a young age, uh, just left there feeling pure shame, misery, and guilt. And it really should be more about forgiveness and self-forgiveness and grace and moving forward. And then that's just not what I got from that. And I think it's important. And I guess, sorry, this is a very heavy topic, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because like I talked about a couple of podcasts ago, I'm always trying to uh, reconcile what the the way I'm acting when I'm not happy and I'm acting like I'm happy. If it is like me just being polite and wanting to be a nice person or like then that's actually something I want or just me feeling like that's who I'm supposed to be acting like because I can't be difficult as a woman or whatever you know like I just have spent a lot of time analyzing the way I am the way I am in an effort to kind of deconstruct some of the things that I don't think are the most productive for me that don't serve me but anyway it's not like I'm permanently scarred I'm fine I we, I did have a great time at camp in general but you know you just think things more in depth later and you're like huh that was that was different but you know and it, the weird part was it was kind of like such a personal experience and they there was such an openness that, that how they talked about religion at the camp and like they would you know have make you get saved and all this stuff but then you'd go home and like that it was just kind of limited to that microcosm and it wasn't really normal to talk like that so like I never you never really told anybody what went on or what you did and so then you kind of like tried to reconcile your two worlds privately while slowly over time just getting less and less religious as you know as time went on since I left camp only to go back the next summer and realized I was going to hell again and it's it's a rough cycle but perhaps the the best is like me coming back and just all of a sudden having these like random extreme beliefs out of nowhere like I remember my my sister told me that one of her friends was like drinking at a party and I was like they were drinking and I like pulled her aside and I was like you know if you drink you go to hell you need to tell her like as if I was like witnessing and she's probably like no you're going to hell because you cried murder throughout the household when my friend tried to flush her bloody tampon Good times all around. I've told some fun stories about Kelly today. Sorry, girl. Love ya. But um, anyway, didn't mean to get so serious. I uh, I should get going. I'm gonna end on a lighter note on an important song I discussed earlier on a video. I hope you look up on YouTube. I'll put it on my Instagram at be there in five f i v. Give me a follow. Tell a friend. Um, and you know I didn't mean to talk about the Met Gala for thirty minutes and then Holiday in the Sun for ten. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> um. Whoa. Tugboat needs me to take him outside and I'm going to get going. Uh, but go to patreon.com slash be there in five, pledge a dollar, support me to keep going hear about all my hopes, dreams, fears, regrets, secrets that I share with kind of this closed group. Um, and, uh, I will be back next week. Please always message me any questions or topics you want me to discuss. Otherwise, I mean, this is what happens. I, I will just keep going. I will talk. I'll like do a full 30 minute recap of like billboard dad next week. If you don't tell me other things to talk about, cause this is what interests me. <laughs> okay. Hope you have a great week. Love you tons and enjoy the Nordic musical tween stylings of none other than the four person girl group play. And to all of you out there who support me, I love you. It is us against the world. Let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. There is no one else that I can say this to. And there is nothing better than to talk to you.
feels like there's nothing